As the world becomes more polarized and distorted from reality, Big Red for America breaks down a new concept, value, or debate so you can better understand the history and facts. Using historical data, basic logic, and common sense, we supply honesty and clarity around today's political topics, value sets, and cultural discourse. This is the Big Red for America show. So what is going on at the national stage in regards to voting laws? So we know that last year, June-ish, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, was killed in the Senate. But now, after the death of Build Back Better, Schumer is trying to go part two. He reintroduced the Freedom to Vote Act, also which contains the John R. Lewis Act. Um, part of the bill was named after the late congressman from Georgia. And he wants to override the filibuster to get this bill passed. Uh, here's the video of him saying that if the Senate were to not act, that he would consider changes to the filibuster. As we hold this debate, I ask my colleagues to consider this question. If the right to vote is the cornerstone of our democracy, then how can Democrats permit a situation in, in which Republicans can pass voter suppression laws at the state level with only a simple majority vote, but not allow the United States Senate to do the same. This asymmetry cannot hold. If Senate Republicans continue to abuse the filibuster to prevent this body from acting, then I would plead with the Senate, particularly my colleagues on this side of the aisle, to adapt. And we must adapt for the sake of our democracy so we can pass the legislations, the legislation I talked about earlier. And last week we talked about the filibuster, how it came about, why it really shouldn't be changed. Um, but this is the reason why Schumer wants to pass this Freedom to Vote Act and he wants to change the filibuster to get it. Or he thinks that using this bill as a cudgel can kind of twist Democrat senators' arms, particularly Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, to flipping on the filibuster. He thinks he can probably put enough pressure on them because then he can say, oh, these two Democratic senators aren't in support of voting rights. I mean, I think, I think that's what he wants to do. And it's interesting that the Freedom to Vote Act, Joe Manchin is actually a co-sponsor of that bill. So I think it's particularly slimy, but politically savvy that Schumer's trying to use this bill to get Manchin to flip-flop on the filibuster. But luckily, thankfully, it didn't happen. Manchin stands firm on the filibuster with Kirsten Cinema, so we have a 52-senator majority in favor of the filibuster, and the rule cannot be changed at least yet. But getting back to this bill, I think it's kind of, as Republicans and conservatives, we need to not put all of our hopes and dreams in Joe Manchin. The fact that he sponsored, co-sponsored such a radically left bill, I think goes into, lends credence to the point that we shouldn't necessarily trust him. It's great that he's helping us right now, standing up for the filibuster. But we need to we need to be wary, especially with the fact that he put forth such radical legislation. The timing of this bill, the timing of this Freedom to Vote Act, is also incredibly suspect with the November midterm election so 
close. Biden's approval rating, according to 538.org, has Biden at a 42.2% approval rating. Now, this is nearing Donald Trump's level of unpopularity. I believe he was like 39% at this time. But remember, Joe Biden has big tech and the big establishment media on his side. Imagine if they weren't on his side. Imagine if Biden was constantly and only getting the negative press that Donald Trump received. I'm sure his approval rating would be like in the 20s or maybe the teens. I'm sure he would be in the running for most unpopular president ever. Biden's unpopularity is hurting him and hurting the Democrat party as the midterms come around. We have several Senate Democrats who are facing uncertain futures. We see Senator Kelly in Arizona, Sen Senator Masto in, in uh, Nevada, and Senator Warnock in Georgia. All these are listed as, quote, toss-ups, according to Ballotopedia, and Biden won by 0.3%, and 0.3% in Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia, respectively, in 2020. So, Biden and the Democrats have a slight lead in these states, but remember what we saw in Virginia and New Jersey. Biden had double-digit leads in both states in 2020. And Virginia totally flipped from Democrat to Republican. And New Jersey barely, barely stayed Democrat. I think in Virginia, Biden was at, Biden won like 11% of the popular vote, or won by 11%. And in New Jersey, it was even bigger. I think it's 15, 16%. And those leads were completely erased and the gubernatorial elections. So it is not looking good for Democrats in the midterms. The Republicans, if they campaign well, look back at, look at taking back the House and the Senate, which would for sure kill Joe Biden's agenda for the final two years of his term. So it's interesting that now, now, before the 20, right before the 2022 elections, I mean, we're talking months before, now they're interested in voting rights and are, and are marching on that and demanding that voting rights be, vote, quote, voting rights. I want to clarify that, quote, voting rights and, quote, voter suppression is happening and that they're, re, that they're reconsidering this bill. I think it's, a, I think it's a, more of a political move to try to gin up their base and, like I said, try to get Manchin to flip on the filibuster. And this is all important considering these bills were originally introduced in September. This was originally introduced in September, died on the Senate floor, and now it's being reintroduced. So what's, what is in this bill? What's in the Freedom to Vote Act? I'm sorry. Yeah, Freedom to Vote Act. It's a lot like H.R. 1, which is the For the People Act which I covered, I believe, in my first or second episode. Um, it has a lot of the same things like automatic voter registration. So everyone who's either able to or even unable to cast a vote in the election will be automatically registered to vote. Um, unless you specifically decline to register to vote, uh, you will be automatically registered. So this includes registering 16-year-olds who the bill acknowledges aren't legally able to vote, but it'll do federal pre-registering of 16-year-olds. It also, like HR1, includes protections for illegal immigrants who are, quote, accidentally registered to vote. So that if they were to decline, if they were to say, hey, I was accidentally registered to vote, I'm an illegal alien, I'm an illegal immigrant, they, the DEA, uh, not DEA, ICE and Customs can't use that against them. 
uh, to get them deported. So that's always great. But it also is interesting to know because supporters of HR1 and supporters of this bill were always like, no, 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 no. Uh, illegal immigrants won't be registered to vote. That's just Republican fear-mongering. There it is. Or hate-mongering. But the bill clearly acknowledges the fact that this will happen, even accidentally, and <laughs> includes protections um, for people who are illegally residing in this country and are registered to vote. The bill also includes same-day re uh, voter registration, which I talked about the problems with that like way, way back. And it's interesting to know that the same-day voter registration will start in 2022. We'll start this midterm. So that's interesting to point out. And it also includes the mandated early voting. Uh, you can find that all in sub subtitle C. That starts at least 15 days before the election and can and can end two days before the election at the earliest. So we don't have election day. We have election season, which is interesting because the bill also makes election day a federal national holiday. So we still need all this early voting time, even though it's going to be a national holiday. And the bill also still has the mandated um, voting by mail. And they include the same, the same provisions. They say no identification can be required to apply for a ballot. The bill specifically says, quote, states, states may not require an individual to submit any form of identifying documents as a condition of, of obtaining and casting an absentee ballot. Which is interesting. Why would they include that? That just seems that just seems silly. It seems like because the Republicans are on the side of voter ID, that the Democrats have to be on the side of no voter ID. No, no, no. It doesn't really seem to be wise. It doesn't seem to be a wise decision, but rather it's motivated by political partisanship, which is unfortunately what we see in a lot of this voter ID, a lot of this voter security and voter suppression um, debate. It also mandates that if you vote by mail, you cannot require notarization or signature verification. And if a state already has a signature verification law on the books, that in order to challenge a vote, to say that the signatures don't match up, you have to have at least one election official from each party, Republican and Democrat, to agree that there is a discrepancy. Will that ever happen? Probably not. <laughs> but the point is, that it's gonna make it harder and harder to throw out mail-in ballots, which are very, very prone to fraud. And I'll get into that a little bit later. And like I said before, I really just can't understand any of these provisions. All of these provisions seem to be really undercutting election, election integrity in favor of combating voter suppression. But as I'll point out later, there's no real evidence that stricter vote stricter voting laws suppress the vote in any way other than the fact that it's just a, a democratic talking point that's now been accepted as fact i mean if you disagree with any of this or anything i'm saying please feel free to email me uh email is always in our sub stack feel free to message me on twitter or instagram all those links are included in our sub stack or and in this episode description please reach out to me especially if you're on the opposite side of the aisle um and you know be courteous be kind i have no problem reconsidering other opinions but i i at least can't see how this is in anywhere any way fair or balanced so what exactly are the democratic arguments for the bill an article by um 
NBC New York says, quote, advocates say the new voting protections would counter a wave of recent restrictions passed in 19 states and fueled by Donald Trump's lies that he lost the 2020 presidential election due to voter fraud. No significant fraud was found by Trump's Department of Justice and repeated independent investigations, unquote. So it's these, quote, recent restrictions, unquote, that require national overreach, national Democrat action into completely rechanging and restructuring how elections are done in this country. So what's an example of, of recent restrictions? I think we should take a look at Georgia's voting law because that has by far received the most hate from the Democrats. Here's an example of Joe Biden calling it, quote, Jim Crow on steroids. I think today's professional athletes are acting incredibly responsibly. I would strongly support them doing that. People look to them, they're leaders. Look at what's happened with the NBA as well. Look at what's happened across the board. The very people who are victimized the most are the people who are the leaders in these, in these various sports. And it's just not right. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in, in Georgia and 40 other states. What it's all about. Imagine passing a law saying you cannot provide water or food for someone standing in line to vote? Can't do that? Come on. Or you're gonna close a polling place at five o'clock when working people just get off? This is all about keeping working folks and ordinary folks that I grew up with from being able to vote. So in this video, Joe Biden says some things that are paint are just absolutely false. I'll get into it. I'll get into those a little bit more later. But the point is that this bill has received a lot of hate, particularly from Democrats. And like the NBC article says, this bill was passed in response to Trump's claim the 2020 election was stolen. Many states during the coronavirus pandemic, especially with the 2020 election, had moved to widespread mail-in voting slash absentee voting. And there were discrepancies. Now, now some states are trying to go back to pre-2020 election rules and are just being hammered by Democrats. So let's take a look at what is in this election bill. Is it, you know, the way the Democrats say, the way they talk about Jim Crow, you would just kind of expect that it just straight up outlaws um, black people from voting? Believe it or not, that is nowhere in this bill. The bill actually makes drop-in, drop boxes legal for absentee slash mail-in voting. They were used solely on an emergency basis in 2020 and were actually going to expire until a Republican legislature, yes, and a Republican governor, yes, renewed them and made them legal. So Democrats complain, that, oh, there's less drop boxes than in 2020. There's less drop boxes than in 2020. But there would be zero drop boxes had this new election law not made them permanent. The bill also expanded early voting to 17 days before the election. It allows the polls to stay open until seven at the latest, and they can close at five at the earliest. So when Biden, Biden says, oh, the polls close at five, that's, that's not true. That's the earliest they can close. They can stay open up until seven. It also limits mail-in voting. So you have to requ request an absentee ballot at least two weeks before an election. Now, this is one of the place that one of the the parts of this bill that gets a lot of Democrat hate. But I mean, requ that to at least to me, 
doesn't feel like a huge limitation. Okay, like I'm gonna vote by mail. Maybe I can't request a mail-in ballot just a week before the election. If I wanna participate in this election, I mean, you'll have, tr you'll truly, truly have ample time. You have up until two weeks before the election, assuming you didn't vote, vote early in person already. That goes even further ahead of the election um, to request a mail-in ballot. But even though there's a restrict, they technically restrict when you can request an absentee ballot, which is up to two weeks before the election. To me, that's crazy. They still have their no excuse absentee voting. And this this isn't present in a lot of, in several Democrat states. You you have to at least provide a reason as to why you want an absentee ballot, absentee ballot. But the Georgia law still keeps their no excuse absentee voting. The bill continues that those who want to vote by mail must show an ID to to vote by mail. And when they fill out their application to vote by mail, they have to put their ID number or the last four of their social security number on the application. This to me seems like common sense, but according to the Democrats, it's blatantly racist. It also bans those who are politically affiliated with one party or another from passing out food and water to vote to voters, to potential voters, but still allows nonprofits to do it. So I think everything Joe Biden said about the Georgia law is is actually false. He says that polls close at five, false. Um, says that you can't eat water? Water? You can't give water? False. <laughs> uh, maybe the Democrats can't go up and down the voter the voter lines and pass out water, but nonprofits can. Uh, once again, Joe Biden gets everything wrong. But this is perhaps the Democrats' best example of quote restrictive voting laws. And this bill actually includes many of the principles put forward in the Freedom to Vote Act, the no excuse absentee absentee voting you know, expanded early voting. Remember, this bill actually has better early voting laws than the Freedom to Vote Act. Freedom to Vote Act says 15 days. Georgia election law is 17 days. So why are Democrats trying to blast this bill? It Remember, and I've said this before about many other topics, the truth doesn't matter. No, the truth doesn't matter. Rather, the narrative that Republicans are evil and trying to restrict the votes, particularly of minorities, is far, far more important than the truth. And this, this fear-mongering and this hate-mongering by the left, by the radical left, is proving to be effective. I'm afraid, you know, Georgia didn't go back to pre-COVID voting laws. They actually just legislated and legalized the, the current post-COVID voting laws very lax. These aren't very, quote, repressive voting laws. So I'm afraid that this Democrat wave of hate is actually going to pressure Republicans into accepting these new lax voting laws that came around, came around during the pandemic. Republicans will probably try to keep these laws to try to appease Democrats or appease the media, but I just want to give a quick news flash that the media and the Democrats will never, ever cheer for you. So, so don't try to please them. And that these lax laws, especially as they apply to mail-in ballots, will only expose the American elections to more and more fraud. So many on the political left will say that, you know, there is no fraud. 
um, especially with mail-in votes, absentee val absentee ballots. No, no, there's they're not more susceptible to fraud. They'll push that out a lot. But an article by Hillsdale College lists some recent no noteworthy mail-in voting scams. That in uh, 1975, France used to allow for mail-in in in voting until 1975, where hundreds of thousands of dead people were found to be voting in French elections in uh, the island of Corsia in France, which then led to France banning mail-in ballots for citizens living in the country. And this, we'll actually see this a lot. Many European countries ban absentee slash mail-in voting for citizens living in the country. According to that same article by Hillsdale College, 35 out of 47 of European countries ban mail-in voting for citizens living in the country. I mean, are these countries racist or undemocratic? The radical left would say no if you just ask them that, even though according to their own logic, they're suppressing minority votes. Even countries that are constantly praised by the radical left, like Norway, Netherlands, and Sweden, have this ban. And even though these, these countries are praised because of the mythic, quote, Nordic socialism, they're constantly being praised, yet they still have these, quote, voter suppression laws on the books. Ten other European countries require people to come in in person and pick up their ballots with ID, which is unlike the Freedom to Vote Act, which would make this process illegal and increase the amount of unsolicited mail-in ballots. It wasn't just France in the 1970s that had this issue. As recently as 2004, Hillsdale says, quote, England used to have absentee voting rules similar to ours in the U.S., but in 2004 in the city of Birmingham, officials uncovered a massive vote fraud scheme in the city council races. The six winning Labour candidates had fraudulently acquired about 40,000 absentee votes, mainly from, here listen to this, Muslim areas of the city. As a result, England ended the practice of mailing out absentee ballots and required voters to pick them to pick up their ballots in person with a photo ID. Now, I just want to point out that the Labour Party, the Labour candidates, took these votes from Muslim areas of the city. Now, remember, the Muslims think poor, immigrant, colored community. These are the areas that the Democrats and the radical left are, are proclaim that they're trying to quote protect with these vax with these lax voting laws. Now, who is the Labour Party in the UK? According to their website, and this is a direct quote, quote, Labour is a democratic socialist party, unquote. So they're the far left. So we see in this example, the Labour candidates, a far left political party, is abusing and exploiting minority votes rather than protecting them. And I think this goes along with the radical left. The radical left would, is much more concerned in exploiting minority votes rather than protecting them. Beyond just mail-in voting problems, voting fraud happens in America as well. The Heritage Foundation keeps track of election fraud cases in the U.S. And you can look in, even in the 2020 election, there's, I mean, in each state, at least a handful of people prosecuted for voter fraud can either be, I mean, most of the cases are small. Want, you know, someone tries to vote twice or puts down the name of a dead relative and tries to vote in their name. But that doesn't mean that all election fraud in the U.S. has been small scale. A huge case actually broke open in Chicago in the 1980s where 
100,000 votes were manufactured for the Democrats and actually threw a governorship in their favor. And the grand jury that investigated this, this is actually what they recommended for voter security. Quote, to obtain voter credentials, the citizen must present a photo, write a signature and give a thumbprint. The voter card includes a picture with a hologram covering it, a magnetic strip and a serial number to guard against tampering. To cast a ballot, voters must present the card and be certified by a thumbprint scanner. So I think that's interesting. Of course, we never really enacted this in the US. It was enacted to, with success in Mexico. But that wasn't the most recent scam in the 1980s. In 2005, a Tennessee state Senate race was overturned due to voter fraud in a tight race. The same article also notes in 2004, an estimated 5,500 to 6,000 fraudulent votes were found in Milwaukee for the Democrats. And John Kerry only won that state by 11,000 votes. So what if that happened in Georgia and Arizona? We have this election with record numbers of mail-in ballots with really without the infrastructure to support it. Both of these states, Biden won by around 10,000 votes, 10,000 plus. And both of these states had senators, Senate races determined by this process as well. We could be looking at a very different potential government. Even if, let's say, Biden wins the national election. So let's say... Arizona and Georgia flip, Biden doesn't have the majority to win, although I still think he did. Let's just say that he does and it goes to the House of Representatives. Obviously, they're Democrats, so they vote in favor of Joe Biden. Now we have Joe Biden, Democratic House of Representatives, sure, but now we still have a Republican Senate. Potentially 53 to 47, so he's still still a firm majority in the Senate. You know, that that could really shift, and there doesn't have and the, the article points out that just in one city, just in Milwaukee, they're finding 5,000 to 6,000 fraudulent votes in a state that was, that was decided by 11,000. So to pretend that voter fraud is completely unheard of, unprecedented in America is absolutely silly. And even back in 1864, Democrats tried to use mail-in ballots to remove Abraham Lincoln. I am dead serious and according to the smithsonian this was the first use of widespread absentee voting in american history oh my gosh you can't make this up i just think it is hilarious oh my gosh first so democrats wasted no time trying to throw elections in their favor now now I bring up these examples and a lot of these examples have to do with Democrats. Are Democrats the only ones who have ever committed election fraud? No. Do they perhaps have the most well-documented and prolific examples? Yes. I, I don't think that speaks well for their party, but you know, I don't want to throw necessary, unnecessary shade on the Democrats. So um, beyond these examples, which do not in any way sum up all the evidence for voter fraud ever in the United States. Democrats up until yesterday were still complaining about stolen elections. So let's take a look at Democrats who absolutely blasted Trump in 2020 for not accepting the election results. Let's take a look at some prominent Democrats in recent years who thought elections were quote stolen. First example, Hillary Clinton, 2016. 
She believed, and probably still does, that the 2016 election was stolen from her. Uh, she piggybacked off of Jill, Jill Stein, who was a Green Party candidate who brought in like net 1% of the popular vote in trying to force recounts in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, which were all swing states that Trump won pretty narrowly. Similar to the Joe Biden-Trump split in, in 2020. Uh, Hillary Clinton is quoted as saying, quote, I think it's also critical to understand that as I've been trying to tell candidates who have come to see me, you can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you. Now, how do, who does that sound like? It sounds like Donald Trump in 2020, but nope, Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, she bought into the claims of Jill Stein that the voting machines were somehow hacked and that there was Russian information, that there was... There were outside forces trying to keep her from being president. And it's funny, these uh, election interference myths and hoaxes actually marred Trump's presidency for the first two years, you know, with the, with the Mueller investigation that ultimately ended up being a nothing burger. For this next politician, I actually, I actually don't want to tell you who it is right off the bat. I actually want to read a quote from them, and I want you to guess. This is, this is about election irregularities. So this is from a Newsweek article. Quote, The candidate refuses to concede. Their opponent, who is just 15,539 votes above the state's runoff threshold, their campaign suggested there were, there are, quote, incredible irregularities, unquote, in the vote when it comes to, and I want this to be particularly emphasized, mail-in ballots and provisionals. So who is this? Is this a quote from Donald Trump? No, it's not. It's a quote from Stacey Abrams, the rightful governor of Georgia, according to some, according to some delusional people. She lost to Republican Brian Kemp, who won by about 55,000 votes. And to my knowledge, she still never conceded the, the race. There was, uh, I'll link a CNN article that was written in 2021 that says she does not regret not conceding. So, excellent example, Democrats. <laughs> You know, always accepting election results there, yeah? Yeah. And this lie, this lie that she lost the election, you know, she couldn't legit, she couldn't do any more lawsuits, any of that. She kind of exhausted her legal, legal avenues like Donald Trump did in 2020. Still believes that she is the rightful governor of Georgia. And this is supported, this delusion is supported by Senator Elizabeth Warren, who tweeted this in response to Georgia, Georgia's voter law. Quote, the Republican who is sitting in Stacey Abrams' chair, Stacey Abrams' chair, just signed a despicable voter suppression bill into law to take Georgia back to Jim Crow. The Senate must pass the hashtag for the People Act and John Lewis Voting Rights Act immediately. Our democracy is at stake tonight. So I think it's interesting that uh, Elizabeth Warren is speaking out against accepting election results and, and actually giving support to someone who didn't accept their election results because she said Trump flirted with treason, I'm dead serious, flirted with treason when he was non-committal about accepting the 2020 election results. So I'm at least happy the Democrats are internally consistent. <laughs> of course they're not, but even Republicans aren't too, the point isn't necessarily to shift blame, but the fact that Democrats at least pretend to believe that they support, ele they always accept elections is, is just flat wrong. And even uh, Vice President Kamala Harris jumped in on the delusion where she had this to say about Stacey Abrams, quote, Let's say this loud and clear. 
Without voter suppression, Stacey Abrams would be the governor of Georgia. Andrew Gillum is, is, is the governor of Florida, unquote. So for those of you who don't know, Andrew Gillum lost to Ron DeSantis in 2018 by about 30,000 votes. But Kamala Harris is jumping on this delusion. And like I said, the point is not to the point of this is not to shift blame on Clinton on Clinton and Abrams, not to shift blame away from Trump. Um, the point is that both parties have contested election results and complained about election integrity in Abrams' case and election security in Hillary Clinton's case. So it's not unique to Trump or Republicans, and this doesn't make what Trump did right nor delegitimize the claims of Hillary, of Hillary and Stacey. But the Democrats aren't even being consistent. In two years, they completely flipped their position on election security. We went from foreign influence in 2016 and voter suppression in 2018 to the most secure, fraud-free election ever without any major improvements to our election system and with an increase in mail-in voting, which is incredibly susceptible to fraud. Does that make sense? No, it, it doesn't. And it's important to keep this in mind when, when Democrats mock Republicans for trying to ensure election security. And this brings us to kind of the main question that I wanted to answer in this podcast. Is ensuring election integrity racist or akin to voter suppression? The left would have you would have you believe yes, but is there any evidence? Are we is there any documented evidence that would support such a conclusion? You know, as we saw our uniter in chief Joe Biden called the election the Georgia voter bill quote Jim Crow on steroids. I mean, someone needs to remind him that it was Democrats who made Jim Crow. So please, Joe Biden, read history. <laughs> the assumption is, at least coming from the left, that those who support election integrity are racist and want to exclude people from voting, particularly minorities. That's the constant messaging that we're getting bombarded with from the left. And I want to set the record straight and say I don't want to exclude anyone who legally can from voting. And I know I speak for most conservatives. No one wants to exclude those who legally can from voting, but and but we believe that an ID is not necessarily a high bar to cross to be able to vote. This, I mean, this belief led me to do some basic internet research on whether or not IDs actually discourage minorities from voting like Democrats claim. And I came across a study that's widely cited by those on the left titled Voter ID Laws Suppress Minority Votes. So we instantly know what side of the aisle the studies on and their conclusion. Obviously, their conclusion is that voter ID laws suppress minority votes. Duh. But here are some of the other things that they, the qualifiers that they say in the study. Quote, despite all of these tests, we readily admit that our analysis cannot definitely show a causal connection between voter ID laws and turnout. States that pass voter ID laws are likely to be different from states that do not pass these laws on a number of different dimensions that we cannot yet identify. Unquote. They also say, quote, Democrats and liberals are not more affected than Republicans or conservatives in the presence of strict voter ID laws, unquote. They admit in that paragraph that Barack Obama actually helped disprove this theory by driving high Democrat and minority turnout even in states with, quote, strict, unquote, voter ID laws. 
They say, quote, the, the differential decline in minority turnout in strict voter ID states could have little to do with voter ID laws themselves and could instead be a favor of any number of different and unique features of states that pass strict voter ID laws or of the minorities who live in them. Strict voter ID states tend, for example, to also have more rigid registration deadlines and more limited vote by mail options, unquote. And these statements are completely littered through the paper, even though their final conclusion obviously is that voter ID does suppress minority votes. But it's, it's just mere correlation, as they even admit it's not causal. Correlation does not equal causation. There are, they admit there are many factors that they cannot account for that could lead to these discrepancies. They say again, quote, in addition, we remain uncertain as to exactly how these laws work to skew turnout. We have shown that voter ID laws suppress minority turnout, but not how they, how they do so. It could be that more minorities do not have the requisite ID, that the costs of obtaining an ID are too high for minorities to bear, that passing these laws sends a signal to minorities that they are not wanted at the ballot box or some combination of the above. We simply do not know and we need to know." Unquote. So my question is, who is telling minorities that they aren't wanted at the ballot box? Is it Republicans? No, it's the Democrats. Think about it, who is telling minorities that the system is stacked against them? That it's completely pointless to fight back because it's a white supremacist, racist system, you know, misogynistic, patriarchal system. It's the Democrats. If you are constantly being told that, you know, you can't fight the system, the system will always win, the House always wins, would you want to vote? No. Because you know your vote won't matter. Especially if your state just passed a voter ID law. Well, they just passed this racist law. There's no point in fighting it. I might as well not even vote. Because I mean, the Democrats' slander of this bill obviously has some impact on how it's perceived, particularly among minorities. In terms that the Democrats argue that the cost is too high is really a laughable assumption. Democrats say that you can't require an ID to vote, yet you need an ID to apply for some welfare benefits, rent a hotel room, buy alcohol, drive, fly, get a marriage license, or if you live in New York to eat inside a restaurant, go to a show or a concert, or go to the gym. In New York, now it's the vaccine passport. So it's interesting that no one talks about how this impacts minorities. How no one mentions how this keeps minorities from participating in daily life. New York has actually structured a systemic two-tier system. One for the vaccinated, one for the unvaccinated. It's, it's interesting how no one looks at how this impacts minorities. But it's because it, it, that would conflict with the narrative. You know, the narrative is the vax is good, so therefore everyone should be vaccinated, but voter ID is, voter ID is bad. It's interesting, they can hold two conflicting narratives that ID is racist, yet try to mandate vaccination identification for everyone. And not even just require this, identi this identification to vote, but require it to literally be in society. It's just interesting. So looking at that previous article sorry getting off my soapbox here i can't see any definite sources that say id decreases minority turnout i mean the article seems to to prove that point they say there's not a causal relationship here we have this correlation but we don't know why or how it works and this, and especially now that leftist states like new york are requiring vaccine vaccine identification just to do anything it seems like the democrats themselves are even kind of ignoring this point or proving that voter that identification isn't racist because like i said you need a vaccine identification in new york to do just about anything 
So it seems like they're they're even agreeing with this. So I would say no. Voter identification laws are not racist. And um, we'll get into this a little bit later, but even the majority of Americans would agree with that statement. So is there a middle ground? You know, looking at the Democrats' bill in the Senate is, radi is radically, radically, I would say far left and how they want to overhaul elections in their favor. We saw with the Georgia law that that's kind of a compromise, but still I would say on the left side of the spectrum in terms of election security. So is there a middle ground? You know, voter identification is a partisan issue, but it doesn't really need to be. Voter ID is insanely popular among Americans and minorities. According to a Rasmussen poll, 75% of Americans support voter ID. That's three fourths. That is a supermajority in the Senate. That would be able to override a filibuster. This breaks down to 74% of whites, 69% of blacks, and 82% of other minorities. So we have more minorities support voter ID than, than white Americans. 60% of the respondents of that poll said voter ID requirements were not discriminatory. The breakdown, at least according to political lines, was 79% of Republicans and two-thirds of independents say that voter ID laws were not discriminatory. But 51% of Democrats said that they were. So voter ID is wildly popular. And since we know that the radical left has no issue spending trillions of dollars, maybe instead of outlawing voter ID like they try to do in this bill, Democrats could give grants to the states so there would be no cost to acquire one. But then again, there's still no proof that the cost of obtaining an ID is a barrier. It's just a leftist talking point that's now been accepted as fact. But that would take care of a barrier of obtaining ID for, for quote, poor minorities, while compromising with the Republicans on the need for a voter ID and increasing election security. I mean, that seems like a fair middle ground, but I doubt it would ever happen. Democrats are too far gone down their own rabbit hole and too far entwined in their own lies about voter ID. I mean, how could they how could they pass something that they have screamed is racist for the last four or five years? I just don't think it could happen. So what are my big red takeaways for this week? The first one would be that Republican bills for election integrity are more like concessions to the radical left than a return to pre-COVID voting laws, and that should concern many Americans. Next point is that the radical left is also has, has a well-documented history about complaining about election integrity, especially in recent years. Voting voter, voter fraud is well-documented in American history and is only more possible with mail-in voting becoming more prominent. The next point is voting by mail is outlawed in most European democracies and that there are no claims to support whether voter ID suppresses minority votes. In fact, the majority of minorities in America support voter ID according to recent polls. And finally, the leftists smear voter ID as racist yet continue to push out vaccine identi identification requirements. Oh boy, when, when will they learn? Thank you for listening to this week of the, this week's episode of the Big Red for America show where the opinions are always right and the facts always cited. See you all next week.
Did you like what you heard this week? Make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. You can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms from our site on Anchor FM. If you want to follow us on social media, you'll see our link down in the description. And if you really like it, make sure you share this podcast with all your friends. That's one of the best ways that you can help this podcast grow. Thank you all so much. See you next time.